Well, today draws our series on Elijah to a conclusion for the last four Sundays, or we had a bit of an interlude last Sunday with Belle and Phil. We've been looking at the ministry, the story of Elijah. And as I said the first Sunday, like Elijah's story in the pages of Scripture is like that. Pretty small part of the Bible, but a a really monumental figure. Um, And so really good for us just to get more familiar with who Elijah was, what his ministry entailed. I'm particularly thinking for our our visitors or our guests today, if today's going to make sense, we really need to understand the picture, the story of what's been happening. And I think for all of us. So just a really quick refresher of the ministry of Elijah, the context of Elijah's ministry before we jump into today's section. So the context of Elijah's ministry was that the northern kingdom had experienced 19 consecutive evil kings spanning a time period of over 200 years. And the existing king during uh, Elijah's time was King Ahab. He was married to a wicked woman called uh, Queen Jezebel. And the scriptures say that Ahab was more wicked than the past 19 predecessors. So there's a lot of wickedness going on. And then this guy is the absolute worst of the lot. It's a very corrupt, dark time in Israel's history. And in this, into this situation, God raises up one man, a man called Elijah. Up to this point, 1 Kings 17, we know nothing of Elijah. He just kind of appears on the scene. And the name Elijah means the Lord is Jehovah. Now, King Ahab was so wicked because he was turning the hearts of the people away from Yahweh to false gods, the God of Baal. And Elijah, by his very name, is an affront to King Ahab. So Elijah goes to Ahab, his name meaning the Lord is Jehovah, the Lord is God. He goes to Ahab and he confronts him by saying, uh, for the next few years there will be no dew or rain except at my word. This comes to pass And there is an economic shutdown, which would have included unprecedented levels of unemployment, famine and death. During this time, God takes Elijah to the Kareth Ravine, a place of wilderness. And we spoke about the fact that Kareth means to cut down or to cut off. And so what God is doing during this time is he is cutting Elijah down. He is teaching Elijah to depend completely upon him for his survival. And during this time at the Kareth Ravine, there's a brook and Elijah is able to drink from that brook. And there are also ravens, the most selfish bird that is alive, (laughs) that bring bread and meat to Elijah. And during this time, God is teaching Elijah to depend upon him that God is his source. And we saw that God was doing a deep work in Elijah, preparing him for his ministry. He was doing a deep work in Elijah in order to do a deep work through him. And that's often what God will do with us. The brook dries up. And so God moves Elijah on. He takes Elijah to the home of a widow and her son. And as you know, there's been a famine, there's been a drought, 
And so there's no food, and this, this widow and this son have nothing left, a small amount of oil and flour and, and water, and they're going to bake, bake a bread a loaf and die, is basically what they say. Uh, so Elijah goes to this home, and miraculously, God continues to provide for both Elijah and the widow and son uh, through replenishing the source of food and water. Well, the son gets sick and dies. The widow feels as though this is God's punishment on her for worshipping other gods. Elijah prays to God. The boy is raised to life. This is the first time that this happens in Scripture, the first time someone is raised to life. It's a big deal. Well, Elijah is not the most popular guy in Israel at this point. So he goes to confront King Ahab for a second time, three or so years on, and confronts him on this occasion, summoning him to a contest or a duel between 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. So that's 850 false prophets versus himself. So we've got the false god of Baal, 850 prophets prophets representing him, and one man representing Yahweh. And, and so Ahab agrees to this kind of duel. There are two sacrifices. One sacrifice is for the God of Baal. One sacrifice is for the true God of Yahweh. Well, you know the story. The people jump up and do crazy things and nothing happens because Baal is a fake, false God. And what we learned was that false gods cannot deliver what only the one true God can deliver. And Elijah does an incredible thing. He pours four big jars of water over the sacrifice, a detail that we probably wouldn't take much notice of, except remember, for three years, there's been no dew or rain. It's an incredible act of faith. God, of course, consumes that sacrifice, and the prophets of of Baal and Asherah are delivered into Elijah's hands. We then see the contrast between these two men, Ahab and Elijah. Ahab, after this amazing, miraculous display of God's might and power, goes off to eat, whereas Elijah, on the other hand, goes back to the top of Mount Carmel and prays seven times, and God sends the rain. And we spoke about the fact that prayer is not based on our performance. Prayer is based on our dependence on God's performance. Elijah is then strengthened to physically outrun a chariot and then Elijah and Ahab are back home. And that's where we're up to in the story of Elijah. So I'm going to invite Carol to come and read from 1 Kings 19 verses 1 to 18 as we conclude our series in Elijah. Thank you, Carol. Good morning, everybody. As Joel said, I'm reading from 1 Kings 19, 1 to 18, and we're reading from the NIV. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Excuse me. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, 
he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. <coughs> Excuse me. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your halters, and have put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, "'What are you doing here, Elijah?' "'And he replied, "'I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. "'The Israelites have rejected your covenant, "'torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. "'I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too.' <clears throat> "'Sorry. "'The Lord said to him, "'Go back the way you came. "'Go to the desert of Damascus, "'and when you get there, anoint Hazel, king of over Aram.' Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mohalah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All those knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Carol. Well, as I've studied and read and reread and revisited this passage, I've found it helpful to think in terms of scenes and themes. <coughs> scenes and themes. And so I've kind of broken the message into four major themes that emerge from four different scenes. And the first major theme that I see is despair. Despair. And we see this in that first five verses. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time I do not make your life like one of them. It goes on, Elijah runs away into the wilderness, comes to a a broom bush and basically says, Lord, kill me now. Elijah has gone from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Fearful of Jezebel's threat, Elijah ran for his life. In addition to running away, he isolates himself from the one companion he had, his servant, and he journeys deep into the wilderness where he can be all alone. His geographical location now reflects his inner being. It reflects how he is feeling, deserted, despairing, dry, burnt out. I am no better than my ancestors, he says. In spite of all the Lord has achieved through Elijah, he feels at this moment as good as dead. His ancestors are dead. They can't do anything for the Lord. So Elijah basically says, Lord, I'm as good to you as my ancestors. I'm as good to you as being dead. So you may as well end my life now. Elijah is clearly deeply troubled and deeply depressed. In fact, the following definition of depression sums Elijah up well. Depression is a state of low mood and aversion to activity that can affect a person's thoughts, behaviour, feelings and sense of well-being. People with a depressed mood may be notably sad, anxious or empty. They may also feel notably hopeless helpless, dejected, and worthless. May God be with you if you find yourself in that place. Elijah runs for fear of death only to request death. So there is something deeper going on for Elijah than just Jezebel's threat, which we will come to see. The next theme that I see emerging is restoration. And this is, again, just to kind of summarise, God sends an angel to Elijah in his place of absolute desperation. He sends an angel and the angel feeds him and he rests. And then a second time he gets up and eats and rests. And in this section of the story, we see Elijah rest and we see God restoring his strength. This is a time of restoration. The first thing that Elijah needed was food and sleep. 
God ministers to Elijah through his master chef angel by providing food to nourish his body. God is once again miraculously providing for Elijah's physical needs. This is not the first or the second, but the third time we see God miraculously providing for Elijah's physical needs. In some respects, Elijah is back in the Kareth ravine. He is in a wilderness place where he is completely dependent upon God for his survival. And God does not disappoint. God meets Elijah at his point of need by providing food And in this very practical act of providing food and allowing Elijah to sleep, God is reminding Elijah of who he is. I am the God who provided for you in the Kareth Ravine. I am the God who provided for you and the widow and the widow's son, and you did not go hungry. I am the God who raised that dead boy to life through you. I am the God who consumed the sacrifice with fire and delivered the false prophets of Baal into your hands. I am the God who sent rain to a drought, famine, stricken land when you prayed to me. In other words... What God is saying to Elijah is, you can trust me. You can trust me. I've called the next theme, counsel. And and this is the scene where Elijah is at Mount Horeb. And there's a bit of an interaction, a conversation, if you will, between God and Elijah. I won't read this section. We're looking at verses kind of 9b through to verse 14. And this is the section very well known with the earthquake and the fire and the wind, but God obviously not being in any of those God reveals himself in the still, small, quiet voice. I've found this scene fascinating. Essentially, God and Elijah are having a conversation, much like two people in a counselling session. This is interesting, isn't it? When people experience deep, despairing depression... A helpful thing to do is to talk to somebody about it. A very wise thing to do is to talk to a professional person about it. And in our terms, that would be a counsellor, maybe a psychologist. So Elijah goes to the divine counselling room, if you will, and he sits down with the divine Counselor, We see one person is desperate in a place of deep turmoil. We see another person is calm and available to listen. What's really interesting here is that Mount Horeb 
and Mount Sinai are interchangeable names for the same mountain. And two places in Scripture, this very mountain is referred to as the mountain of God. Do you remember where the first incident with Mount Sinai is? It's where Moses encounters God in Exodus chapter 3. At the foot of the mountain, Moses encounters God for the very first time in the burning bush. And Exodus 3.1 refers to this mountain as the mountain of God. The second time this mountain is referred to as the mountain of God is in 1 Kings 19.8. You can actually see Mount Horeb and Sinai is like the pinnacle of Mount Horeb. So this is the same place where Moses encountered God. Now Elijah is encountering God. What we see here is that Elijah went to the mountain of God. He journeyed 40 days and 40 nights to experience the presence of God. This is the place where God told Moses, take off your sandals for the ground you are standing on is holy ground. This is a sacred place that Elijah has journeyed to to meet with God. It's interesting that Moses, if you go back and read the Exodus account, Moses spends 40 days and 40 nights without food or water in the presence of God on Mount Sinai. In Elijah's case, he journeys for 40 days and 40 nights without any food or water just to get to his destination. These two men want for nothing more than to be in the presence of God. Oh, to have the faith and the desire of Moses and Elijah to be with God. Is it any reason why when Jesus experiences his transfiguration, he does so in the presence of Moses and Elijah. These two heroes of the faith, very human, but they wanted nothing more than the presence of God. How inspiring are these characters? 40 days and 40 nights with no food just to get to the place where God's presence is so rich. So, Elijah enters the divine counselling room (laughs) and he sits down and the counsellor says to Elijah, Elijah, why are you here? And I think about that and I think that's a really good opening question for a counsellor to ask a person who's really depressed. Like, you're here. There's obviously a reason why you're here. Let's talk about it. Now, of course, God knows exactly why Elijah is there. He strengthened him for the journey through the angel. 
But God in his graciousness and his generosity actually gives Elijah the opportunity to express himself, to share what's going on. And Elijah pours out his heart. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah feels like a failure. He feels totally alone. He feels completely burnt out. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The work of the prophet was a thankless, often life-threatening job. But Elijah had remained focused and faithful in a society that was crumbling around him and in our language becoming increasingly secular, Elijah stayed the course. But this was a lonely post and he was feeling the effects of it. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. Now, you have to slow down to get this. The Israelites. I imagine Elijah facing God, the divine counselor, and saying, your people, the supposed people of God, have completely rejected you. They want nothing to do with you. You've called me as your prophet to lead the hearts of your people towards you and they won't have a bar of it. They've torn down the sacred altars, the place where your people would go to worship you. They have completely dismantled as a defiant act of wanting nothing to do with you. Your people have rejected you. Now, it's one thing for the prophets of Baal to reject God. But it's another thing altogether for the Israelites, the people of God, to reject you. Not only have they rejected your covenant, not only have they torn down your altars, the places we would go to worship, Worse yet, they have put your prophets to death with the sword. Now, at this point, you have to remember who Elijah is. He's a prophet of Israel. How is Elijah feeling right now? So alone. He is despairing. Now, as it turns out, as we will learn in verse 18, Elijah is not alone. There are, in fact, 7,000 other people who have not 
bowed to the God of Baal, which means that there are still faithful men and women in Israel. But Elijah doesn't feel that way. He feels as though he is the only one. And what I love about this is God doesn't rebuke Elijah for his feelings. Feelings are distinct from fact. And they may not always correlate. However, feelings are always valid. And Yahweh graciously allows Elijah to feel his feelings without correcting him. Twice, Yahweh asks Elijah how he is feeling. Why are you here? And twice, Elijah gives the exact same response. God instructs Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, this scene is so rich in Israel's history, because this is essentially what God did with Moses the time he received the Ten Commandments for the second time. And on this occasion, Moses was feeling completely burnt out, frustrated at the people of Israel who had worshipped a false god, the golden calf. And God blesses Moses by revealing his glory. This is exactly what God is going to do for Elijah. Wind, earthquake and fire are all elements that are indicative of God's might and power. Elijah had seen God in the fire and the storm, but now God chooses to come to him in a still, small, gentle voice. God knows what we need and when we need it. Sometimes we need the Almighty's all-consuming fire of justice. Sometimes we need the understanding, gentle ministry of Yahweh's love and mercy and compassion. It's as if God says to Elijah, you needed me to the God of to, you needed me to be the God of power and I was Indeed, I am. Right now, however, you need me to be a God of tenderness and understanding. Indeed, I am. God hears Elijah's heart cry. He doesn't rebuke or preach to or criticize, interrupt or interject. He listens and responds in gentleness. I'm here. I'm with you. You're not alone. I'll never leave you. I am enough. God heard Elijah's heart cry. 
to be heard. To be heard. So much validation in just being heard. God heard Elijah's heart cry, my friend, God will hear your heart cry. And God will validate your feelings too. Finally, in the last scene, God reconnects Elijah with his calling. You're a prophet. This is what you do. This is who you are. Go back and do the work of a prophet. And so in this final passage of Scripture in verses 15 to 18, the Lord gives Elijah some specific tasks. Again, I won't read the the passage. If you've got a Bible you're looking along, we're looking at verses 15 to 18. But it's as if God says, Elijah, go back the way you came. I still have more work for you to do. I want you to anoint three men who will serve my purposes. I still have 7,000 people to preserve. You see, Elijah has experienced God in such a moving way that he now reconnects with his calling and he returns. So Elijah goes back. But hang on, what about Jezebel's threat? What about the Israelites that want to put the prophets of God to death with a sword? Not even a mention. Not even a mention. And in fact, if you keep reading on, God will take Elijah into heaven by a chariot. Quite literally bypasses death. During his earthly ministry, more than once, people wondered if Jesus was Elijah. And when you think about it, their ministries have some striking similarities. Both Jesus and Elijah spent time in the wilderness, hearing from and learning to rely on God. This was their preparation time for ministry. Both Elijah and Jesus did feeding miracles. With Elijah in their home, the widow and her son didn't go hungry, and Jesus miraculously fed the hungry crowds. Both Elijah and Jesus raised dead boys. Both Elijah and Jesus visited a place of total despair, loneliness and desperation. Elijah, under a broom bush in the desert. Jesus, in Gethsemane. Both Elijah and Jesus confronted substantial opponents. Elijah took on 850 prophets, false prophets, on Mount Carmel. Jesus went to the cross in the ultimate showdown, taking on sin and death, and conquered them both. Elijah was transported to heaven on a chariot when his earthly work was done. Jesus was transported to heaven when his work on earth was done. Elijah foreshadows 
Jesus as a Messiah figure. But it is only through Jesus' death and resurrection that a new covenant could be forged where broken, rebellious and sinful people could be made right with God. God's word tells us that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. I don't know about you, but whenever I read the Old Testament, it's always so easy to judge the Israelites for their faithlessness, for their idol worship, for their hard-heartedness, for their forgetfulness of the faithfulness of God. But the reality is we too at times reject God. We too at times are faithless. We too at times worship false idols. We too fail to share and shine the light and love of God to surrounding neighbours and communities. And the wonder of the gospel is that Jesus paid the price that we could never pay for our brokenness. Jesus rescues and delivers us from our rebellion towards God. Jesus suffered separation from God so that we wouldn't have to. The ministry of Elijah is not an end in itself. The ministry of Elijah points us to Jesus, the true Messiah, the Messiah in all his fullness. And I ask today, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Is he your Messiah? Is he your Savior? If not, then heed his words from Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with that person and they with me. Be reconciled to God. Open the door of your heart to Jesus and sup with him. He will restore your soul. He will hear your heart's cry. He will counsel you with wisdom and tenderness. He will call you to the work which he created you for. Don't delay, for I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the time of salvation. Praise be to God. Amen. Thanks, Matt.